Thanks, my brother. Well, I want to start out by uh, commending our teams that got on up here this morning. Ryan, Cheyenne, and Danielle. I thought they did a great job of filling us in on what went on up there. There was a, uh, we did kind of see what happened to uh, the co-chow. Uh, we saw an ice pack. I got to see that in all of its glory. The other night we went out to celebrate uh, the child's birth, or Lena Child's birthday. Boy, that girl took a hit. Anyway, um, it was interesting too. I think with what went on here this morning, just kind of seeing the uh, fun aspect of the teen retreat, my wife stated that uh, she wants to go next year. Uh, I'd love to go and serve. I think she just wants to go to beat up on teens. But anyway... <laughs> I, she actually did say that to me, didn't you, babe? She did. She's laughing, you can see. Well, as you can tell, uh, we're continuing with our series here this morning, What's It Like? Analogies for the Kingdom of Heaven in the book of Matthew. And Brian Craig kind of started us out last week with things, but before I go any further, I did want to kind of give a shout out to a young lady in the second row here uh, by the name of Lacey, who's visiting with us from the Portland Church. She... Uh, Play, she has uh, been participating with Calvin the uh, last past few years when it comes to uh, Hoops for Hope, raising money for uh, our benevolent arm of the church. Lacey, I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can I get you to stand up for a sec? Now, I just want to say this. I got a text from Calvin this morning, and I don't know that Calvin whines a whole lot. I think I've heard it from time to time. But he was talking about how incredibly beautiful this young lady is, yet don't mistake that and her sweetness because... He got elbowed a few times by Lacey. Poor Calvin. Uh, I'm sorry, bro. Yeah, I just had to kind of throw that in there. But, you know, as we, uh, with Brian last week, we were talking about what is the kingdom, and he talked about it being like a wedding banquet. I know for each of us personally, when we think about Jesus Christ and what he represents to us, to me it's just absolutely amazing that we even get an invite. But then he went on and he talked about the preparation that was necessary for going to the banquet. I think it was something along the lines of, uh, dude, you need to be prepared, I think was his second point. And just making sure that we're clothed properly. And When I think through the kind of wedding banquet that God has prepared for us in heaven, it's mind-boggling. To know that the price of admission to that banquet was Jesus Christ giving up his life and dying for us. How many of you have ever been to Hearst Castle? Wow, quite a few of you. Remember that ginormous banquet room? The, I think it's called the Room of the Flags. They've got all the various countries' flags in there. I kind of envisioned something like that, but, you know, huger than that. And you know, we've got a few foodies in the group, right? When I think banquet, I think food. There's usually beverages involved, too. I think beer, I think wine. Not in excess, but, you know, I do think beer or wine. And I just imagine these mounds and mounds and mounds of all kinds of assortments of meats and, and then some more meat and bacon. All the meat wrapped in bacon. You know, for, for, for some of you that may not be the appeal, so I'm sure there will be some vegetables off to the side somewhere that we'll all be able to uh, partake in. But you know, the, the thing that we're going after today is... Jesus, again, trying to instill in our minds how incredible the kingdom of God is. So today, we're going to be looking at a parable that talks about treasure. I'd like to roll mine out here. See if I can manage this.
I carried it in earlier, and it's taken me the last half hour to cool off. You know, kind of a little treasure chest. We got the gold coins, we got the rings, and you know the all the precious stuff there. <laughs> all, all kinds of neat little things in here. I think I got the teens' attention now. Here's some gold coins. <laughs> but you know, treasure does that to us, right? Does it not get our attention? And in just kind of thinking that through, again, today we're going to talk about treasure. Now, I know for me personally, the, the word treasure from a very early age has always caught my attention. You know, you got the cartoons and there's pirates or Felix the Cat, which probably hardly anybody in here knows other than maybe the Chevy dealership by the uh, shrine. But they always have those treasure maps, the little dotted lines, and, you know, there's the X that marks the spot. And I remember on a couple of instances going out in the backyard trying to figure out where the X was and digging things up, and my mom not being super fired up about things. But, you know, that's always been something I've kind of gone after through the years, and we, we see it all the time on TV. I mean, the movie Titanic was based on trying to actually find the vessel, which eventually took place. You know, we've got Raiders of the Lost Arks, we've got Laura Croft and the, the Tomb Raider, and all these different things. And I think it's because treasure is something that every human mind embraces, and more than anything else, would love to find. You know, the kingdom, what's it like? It's like treasure. And why do we need to know this? I think ultimately it's because Jesus is trying to instill in us the incredible value that is involved, what the kingdom truly is like. And, you know, I think when it comes to our lives, our lives and our priorities today can keep it buried. And when we think that through, we may never find it. Because the way Satan has things dialed in, it actually distracts us from what Jesus has established for us personally. For those of us that have actually found it, we can be, become unaware that it's losing its attractiveness. It's losing its value. And we can drift away from it. So we need to understand, for all of its worth here, sitting here this morning, that it's something that we need to hang on to. You know, again, as I got a little older as a kid, I remember one of the other things that... Uh, I used to do is we go up to the San Gabriel Valley, the East Fork of the uh, San Gabriel River, and uh, I'd go gold panning. You know, I needed to find that stash of loot. And I came away with a couple of uh, small little particles that I did have confirmed were gold, nothing of any real value. And then, you know, I, so the treasure hunting thing I'm not all that good at. A number of years ago, I was at a uh, park service for the church, and uh, we had this egg tossing contest. I think. Uh, Eddie, the Anderson family won that this year, right? Is Eddie in here? Okay, they're on vacation. Well, um, I made this, uh, I thought, very astute judgment of removing my wedding ring because the year before, I was in the number two position, someone tossed the egg and went a little bit to my left, and I went out to my left hand and hit the uh, ring and it broke. So I figured, you know, take my ring off, it's not going to happen again this year, I'm going to win this thing, put the ring in my pocket. Did ring the egg toss, but did lose the ring. Um, uh, yeah, as Jacqueline said, that one went over real well. Uh, I, I did go out and buy a metal detector to try and find the ring. And again, when it comes to hunting for treasure, not, not, not the sharpest tool in the shed, I did come away with a bunch of Corona bottle, bottle tops. 
But uh, needless to say, that didn't waylay the wrath of Jacqueline when it came to the loss of that ring, which I thoroughly understand. But you know, when it comes to treasure finding, and ultimately, think about this, you have treasure hunters, it's kind of like fishermen. You know, we're, we're, we're going fishing, it doesn't say we're going catching. For those who go out treasure hunting, it's just that, they're hunting for treasure. It's not called treasure finding, because it doesn't always quite work out that way. And ultimately, that's how it can be in our spiritual quest. You know, maybe a number of you today that are here that have gone through various aspects of your life spiritually, you're still looking, but you haven't quite found it yet. And I think you're here for a reason, and that Jesus Christ is going to help establish that today as we move through this study. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of treasure hunters. There's those who go after sunken treasure, buried treasure, um, stuff that outlaws have left behind, pirates, Spanish galleons. You can be a coin hunter, a relic hunter. Um, you know, you can even use a metal detector to search for meteorite particles that have fallen from the skies. You know, uh, other instances, uh, how many of you have uh, watched Pawn Stores, Stars, or uh, what's the other one, Storage Wars? You know, I always love in Storage Wars, they're, breaking, they're going through the uh, storage containers, and all of a sudden there's this funky looking little box, and they kind of give it a shake, and it's like, oh my gosh, and they open it, it's like, oh, and they break the commercial. But, you know, it's funny, that aspect of the mystery, but again, the wealth that may be associated with it is something that really gets us going. It's a gentleman by the name of uh, Mel Fisher, this guy up here on the left, who is uh, one of those incredible hunters of treasure. He's revered as the godfather of marine time treasure hunting. He's a one-time chicken uh, farmer uh, prior to World War II. He was World War II vet. He opened up a dive shop in uh, California back in the 50s, and in the 60s, he moved his organization with his buddies back to Florida, and they founded a company by the name of Salvors. And it's interesting what he was able to achieve through the years. A lot of hard work, a lot of craziness that went into it, uh, but they soon made a number of lucrative discoveries of gold coins, which ultimately what this did is this triggered a frenzy among, you know, you get a whole bunch of more treasure hunters that kind of jump into the mix there. Florida actually had to enact legislation to govern what would take place, the waters they could go in, and still a lot of battles going on in court today. The Spaniards are going after uh, these individuals when it comes to claiming what was theirs from hundreds of years ago, even though they're not the ones that dug it up. But with that, he had one prize in particular in mind, and that was the legendary shipwreck of the uh, Nuestra Senora de Atocha, which is part of the Spanish fleet, which sunk off the Florida Keys back in 1622. And you can see he, can he actually found it. This is some of the bounty that he ended up coming away with during this treasure hunting trek. During this search for that particular treasure, 17 years during that time, he lost his eldest son and his daughter-in-law when their salvage ship actually capsized. And you think about the exorbitant expense that these, hunt, these hunts take. But with that, he continued his searches and the phrase that he used to inspire his men was, today's the day. And that obviously took place on November 25th, 1985, when he did find this particular treasure valued at around $400 million. Well, you know, we think of treasure, it's amazing what he was, in this particular situation, what he was willing to risk. It's also amazing to see what he was willing to lose. You know, I, I, again, I don't know about you, but that term treasure really gets my attention. You know, money, wealth, easy life, privileged life. 
I'd be a liar to say that, uh, you know, if I saw a, a Bugatti or a Lambo or, I guess we went too far there with the slides. Back it up here. When it, when it comes to just being out on the streets, if any of those vehicles go by, I'd be a liar to say that they don't catch my attention. I remember uh, back in Orange County a number of years ago, I was in a situation where I was talking to my wife, and uh, it's when the uh, SBT Lightnings had first come out. Uh, I must have lost must have lost the slide, but anyways, just thinking through the the stuff that goes on out there today, the yachts, the planes. You know, we we've got our youth talking about today the G4s, G5s, all the various Lear jets that are out there in society. And these things catch our attention. They can distract us from the real thing in life. This SVT lightning that I saw in this lot of it, uh, down in Orange County, I was talking to my wife and I looked over and I was kind of a truck guy. This thing could go 0 to 60 in 5.9 seconds, which for a truck was pretty amazing. And as I'm looking at this truck, I ended up bumping the individuals in front of me. Which, um, you know, Jackie and I had a little talk about me needing to pay attention, keep my eyes on the road there. But when it comes to these things, Understanding that Jesus understands the attractiveness of wealth and of money. In the New Testament, money was talked a lot about a lot more than hell and heaven combined. Fifteen percent of the New Testament deals with stuff. Let's go to uh, Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field. Treasure that a man found and reburied, and then in his joy he goes and he sells everything he has and buys that field. See, what we see with Jesus here is Jesus is trying to convey to us the significance of his kingdom, the significance of fellowship with disciples, those that God has made a covenant with that are a part of his kingdom. And with that, there's this equation here that we have in Matthew 13 about treasure and the extent that somebody was willing to go to to achieve that treasure. You know, in the first century, it was very common for homeowners because of roving bands of robbers and things of that nature, wartime. uh, They didn't have mattresses back then to stash their money in. So what they would do is it was a very common practice to bury your wealth out in the fields. And... Bearing the valuables protected them against any enemies that might come through. You know, we have the situation with the Babylonians that had come through on a number of occasions. Raids on their homes. People would steal and try to steal everything. You know, with that, in uh, Matthew 25, there's a, pro- a situation where Jesus talks about a, uh, an employer who was going away and he gave three coins to one of his employees, two to another, and one to the third with the direction to go out and invest it and to to make sure that they had a return for for him when he got back. Well, one of them actually took that coin, which again was common based on what took place then. He knew if he buried it, at the very least, he wouldn't lose it. He'd be able to return that coin. So over the years, the grounds of the Palestinian area had become littered with treasure. So, you know, in this particular situation, when the owner of a buried treasure died was forcefully driven from the land, his treasure would be lost forever unless somebody out plowing a field Working a field, happened to maybe stumble upon it. And when we look at this guy in Matthew 13, it says he found this treasure, obviously on somebody else's property, and we can get caught up in his integrity or lack thereof, and that it wasn't his property. 
But the Jews at that point in time, the Jewish rabbinic law said that if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. So that man had every right to that property that he discovered. But it didn't stop there. He went on to sell everything that he had because he understood the, the worth of that treasure. So all of his possessions he sold so he could purchase that property and take that treasure at his own. Which, again, based on rabbinic law, he wouldn't have had to have done that. This also gives us some additional insight, too, in knowing that, obviously, the guy that owned the property sold it to him. If that was his treasure, wouldn't he not have gone out and dug it up himself? So just thinking through this, he was totally within his rights. Again, that treasure may have belonged to somebody else prior to the original landowner there. But the value is the thing that's so significant here. He was willing to sell everything that he had. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to accomplish for us here, is that we just think about this for a second. What would you be willing to sell everything for? What would you be willing to sell everything that you have for? What would that thing be that you'd fill the blank with? Get rid of everything you own. To obtain what? This is the value that Jesus Christ puts on the kingdom. First and foremost, we need to understand the value of the kingdom. This parable teaches us about the incredible value of the Lord's kingdom, the church, as well as the kingdom eternal. You know, when you think about how much it means to be a part of the church, to know what Jesus Christ sacrificed for us personally on the cross, so we might live to know and be able to approach God the Father in heaven, how much is that worth to you? How do you be able to compare or begin to compare the material wealth that you have with the ability to actually call on God, to be able to pray to God? You know, how can you calculate the death that took place on the cross? Compare that to a two-story house. But in Matthew 16, verse 26, Jesus uses the image of the pair of scales when he asks the question, For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own self? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Basically, you can take all the worldly wealth there is, put it on one side of that scale, and the kingdom of God would totally outweigh anything that we could possibly have. And this is the kind of worth that Jesus is trying to convey to us here. You know, the salvation of our souls is worth so much more than anything we could possibly own in this world. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, totally had that understanding. You know, just think for a minute. How excited would you be digging in your backyard, and all of a sudden you come upon a diamond that's larger than the whole diamond? I think that thing came in like 62 carats. I mean, it was absolutely enormous. Would you be excited about it? And you know, when it comes to all the worldly wealth, all the position, everything that we have, everything that we could be, this is what Paul the Apostle had to say in Philippians 3, verse 7. Oh, there's that other, there's the other slide that I was talking about. When it comes to worldly wealth, you got a motorcycle up there at the top that's worth $700,000. We got a yacht in the bottom right hand corner that's worth $150 million. Ferrari in the middle, a couple million dollars. And these things all look attractive. But these are the things that Satan's trying to get us to focus on throughout our lives to distract us from what really true value comes from. In Philippians 3 verse 7, it reads, 
I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I would gain Christ. You know, we look at Paul's credentials and his accomplishments. I think it's awesome about Paul. He put zero confidence in anything, any of that after he became a, a Christian. Jewish observers would have looked to him and placed him at the top of the religious elite. Paul put it all in the debit or loss column in relationship to knowing God. See, for him, and it needs to be the same thing for us, nothing belongs in the profit column except Jesus Christ. His relationship, Paul's relationship to Christ was more valuable, more superior to him than his Jewish background. He emphasized that point in verse 8 where he just stated it, that everything else is worthless. Some of the translations say garbage. Others say rubbish. And that's exactly what it was for him in comparison to gaining Christ. Paul's focus changed completely when it came to his outlook on life. I mean, here we have a guy that was killing Christians that makes this transition to making sure the word would get out to the Gentile nation. Paul wanted to know Christ. He wanted to spend an eternity with Christ, which brings us secondly here to one of the things that's important to hanging on to the kingdom. That is number two, the kingdom involves sacrifice. You know, in Matthew 13, we see a man who bought something of incredible value. But he had to make sacrifices in order to attain that treasure. He had to be willing to give up everything that he had to make that happen. And, you know, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what are you saying? That you've got to buy your way into the kingdom? You have to buy salvation? Well, in a sense, hang with me here for just a moment. See, the treasure in this parable was bought with money. And yes, the Bible says you can't buy salvation with money, but there is a cost of salvation. It's the price of commitment. That, that ultimate commitment started with Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. What was he committed to do so that we'd have that opportunity for salvation? Was that not a price that was paid? He paid it with his own blood. In Luke 9, 57, it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said unto the Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, here's a man who wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus responded to him by saying, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, basically, Jesus, in an essence, what he establishes here is, here's the price for following me. You give up your ways your comfort, things that are important to you, and I will give you my kingdom. So there's a cost involved in being a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus wants us to understand that. Most of us have grown up in a generation that doesn't know much about sacrifice. You know, some of us may think we do, and there may be different sacrifices that have been made, but really thinking it through. You know, to people my age, in a lot of ways, the Great Depression was just a story about how terrible things were in an ancient time, in a different world long, long ago. Because we're used to having things so easy. But uh, my dad grew up with that. His father lost his job during the Depression, and he waited in those soup lines. And, it, you know, up until the pa my dad passing a few years ago, up until that point in time, he remembered what it was like. You could see it in the morning with him in the kitchen, when he would make peanut butter sandwiches for us to take lunch. 
You could find the peanut butter on the bread. You were hard-pressed. I mean, literally, he'd take it out, and he'd spread it so incredibly thin because he wanted to make that jar last. This is what he grew up with, and this was, this was a pattern that continued, even though when things were going better, this is just where it was at. You know, I remember mac and cheese as a kid a lot. Kraft mac and cheese, you could get five for a buck on some occasions. Twenty cents a box. And when things were going better, there'd be tuna fish in it. You know, there were some, there were some challenging times growing up in my background, but nothing like what my, my parents' parents actually had gone through. And I think this, this presents a problem for us today because we really don't understand sacrifice. You know, we're the habit generation. We can supersize, downsize, hold this, add that. You know, I think ultimately what that, what takes place is we have this Burger King Christianity that kind of makes its way into the kingdom. How many of you guys know the song? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. It continues. Anybody else want to help me finish this here? All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. And then ultimately, what does it culminate with? Have it your way. Have it your way. And that's what we're all about. Having it our way. No, Pat, I'm not taking your job here anytime soon. You don't have to worry about that. You know, I think about the lyrics of that song. Ultimately, I think the guy that composed it was Satan. Because it crosses over, not just that simple burger commercial in the 70s. You know, I watched a couple of them on YouTube, man. They were kind of lame. I was going to show them, but I just, you know, I wanted to spare you the lame factor. Not that me singing it wasn't lame, but anyway, we'll leave that alone. But it's amazing how that one burger commercial basically crossed over to every other aspect of our lives. I want it this way. I want it that way. I want it now. Expectation that isn't found in, any, in anything at all. What do we deserve? We deserve absolutely nothing. You know, and I think we can get caught up in who we are and the positions we've achieved and what we've done in life. I was there before I became a Christian. You know, I have some attitudes towards a lot of different people, including my mom, and having worked at her business for years and not feeling that I was going to be able to accomplish anything beyond that. And then I got married and Jackie kind of woke me up a little bit and I realized there was a lot more for me out there. But with that... I started really taking pride in what I did. Self-made man. Nobody did this for me. And being absolutely oblivious as to where the talent set that I have came from. That God's the one that deserved the credit for the things that I was accomplishing in life. Had nothing to do with me. And I think what this does is it leads us to wanting to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom, but we don't want to do anything. We don't want to give up anything. We certainly don't want to sacrifice anything. You know, we want to customize God's kingdom to our own personal lifestyle. Supersize me on the grace. You know, you can hold that darn commitment though, man. Grace is good. I don't need anything beyond the grace. You know, and just as the man of the parable had to sacrifice to gain his treasure, we need to understand we need to sacrifice to gain ours. In Luke 14, Jesus said we need to count the cost. And, you know, to do so is starting a building without having the funds to finish it. Or going to war without having the necessary troops to accomplish it. There is a cost in being a Christian. And we need to determine from the start whether or not we're willing to pay the price. So, if we decide to engage, we finish it. You know, I look back at the job I had at Santa Monica Ford a number of years ago. And my boss, Mark Harding. 
you know, and after studying out the Bible and becoming a Christian and, you know, not having things really spelled out and shown to me scripturally, I was going to church every other Sunday and I was feeling great about it. I don't even know I was going to midweeks at the time. And I think I've shared before I was given a whopping 20 bucks a week, which was about 10 times less than it should have been on a weekly basis based on what I was making at the time. But I remember going into Mark and being a little uptight and realizing that it was a great position. I had a guarantee, which was unusual in the automobile business. But just letting him know, Mark, you know, I wasn't a Christian when I started here, but I am now. And there's other things in my life that are a lot more important. I mean, I love my job. I appreciate you. But ultimately, I need to be at church. I need to be with my church family on Sundays. And, I, you know, I... I definitely kind of sat back there, and, you know, he did one of those wonderful things that sometimes bosses do, kind of sits back in his chair, crosses his hand, he just stares at me. You know, probably was more than a second, but it seemed like 20 minutes. But, you know, he, God is faithful. You know, all he had to sacrifice was his golf game on Sunday morning. He just needed to move it back into the afternoon, but he was willing to make that adjustment so that I could be a part of God's kingdom. And be involved, knowing that without it, just like a, a, a branch on a tree that's, that's broken, you know how those leaves wither, that's who I would have been without all of you. And really having that understanding, we all need to have that understanding about the significance and the value of God's kingdom. You know, attaining the kingdom requires sacrifice. Notice that Jesus said that the man who finds the treasure, it's interesting his perspective. The kingdom is a source of joy. But what we see here in that passage is, what does this guy do? It says the man who finds the treasure, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Man just doesn't sell everything, but he's joyful about it. He doesn't regret it. He doesn't complain about, you know, having to put it on the market and deal with realtors and the percentage that they take. I mean, he was fired up about the opportunity he had. He didn't regret it. He didn't complain about it. In fact, he probably didn't even consider it a sacrifice. He gives a lot for that field, but he got so much more in return. And I think for those of us that have been around a little longer as Christians, this is the true test right here. The real test of our commitment It's not so much whether we are willing to make sacrifices for our Lord, but whether or not we're able to make those sacrifices joyfully for our Lord. You know, when you you give your time, are you joyful? You know, and again, I I do want to, right now, just commend all the brothers and sisters that were part of our teen camp that helped make that happen, all the hard work and energy that went into that. You know, I want to commend the parents, too, because, one, you got to deal with them at home. But beyond that, you guys work hard, and it costs money to send them. And for you to be able to see the importance, the significance, and what an incredible opportunity that is for your teens is noteworthy and commendable. Amen? So when it comes to commitment, are you joyful about what Jesus Christ has done for us? You know, there are people that would say that, you have to give up a lot to be a Christian. And in a sense, that's true. But let me ask something. If I gave you $500,000 of Monopoly money, I don't know if I let that pause linger enough there, but 
I gave you $500,000 of Monopoly money, and I told you, you know what, I've got this 2013 Ford Edge over here, and you can buy it with that $500,000 worth of Monopoly money. How would you feel now? Come on, how would you feel? I mean, if somebody gave me $500,000 of Monopoly money and said, you can buy that brand new car, I'd be bouncing off the walls. I'd be like, okay, you know, am I getting punked here? What's going on? You know, and I think in that particular case, you'd probably make that sacrifice very joyfully, right? Now, in the same way, if I ask you to give up everything that this world has to offer and accept all that Christ has to offer, knowing that what Christ has to offer will last eternally, doesn't that word sacrifice take on a whole new meaning there as well? See, the kingdom is of great joy. It's a source of great joy. Joy of salvation. Real friendships. Healed relationships. Healed marriages. Healed relationships with our kids. You know, the joy of studying the Bible with people. And looking back over the years, just as we came in with a pretty jacked up marriage, there's been a lot of people we've had the opportunity to sit down with that were on the verge of divorce, they were on the verge of losing everything, and to be able to see them love God. And then start to see that love of God transcend and work within their marriage. And then see that trickle down. And you see the degree of interaction that's changed with their kids. That's a source of joy for me. See, the kingdom is our source of joy. And just really thinking that through. You know, for those, that are, those of you that are studying the Bible, what are you waiting for? Start digging you know, give up, give up whatever it is that's got you buried in your current life that may have a negative bearing on what's going to take place, place for you in life eternal. See, the kingdom is our source of joy. The joy and the peace of mind of walking with God, really knowing Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus Christ personally. There are two things that, for me, stand out in, the, in this parable that I want you to come away with here today. And here they, here's what they are. What you need to give up, but ultimately what you stand to gain. This morning, for you to know the joy of God's kingdom, you must give up everything. Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what the world says about that? The world says that is utter garbage. It's foolishness. The world says, take what you can and enjoy it. But I can promise you that if you make that sacrifice, you'll gain and return something far greater than you could ever imagine. Matthew 19, verse 29. Our final passage here this morning. It says, And everyone who has given up houses, or brothers or sisters, or father or mother, or children or property for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. See, ultimately right here, it's not just about the Benjis. It's not about the greenbacks. It's not about the money. It's not about using your time, talent, and money for God's kingdom. Look at the interest rate that's involved here. We got any accountants in the mix? Nobody's wanting to admit it? That's interesting. 
But you think this through. Look at the interest rate here that Jesus Christ is talking about. You give up this, and you're going to get a hundred times more in return. Isn't that a 10,000% return? Start doing the math. I mean, that's pretty amazing. How well off am I going to be in heaven? I think if I multiplied out what I've given to God in both time and money over the last 23 years, I'll be Bill Gates in heaven. Who will you be? What is our treasure on earth? See, it needs to be our relationship with God. It needs to be that wanting to hang with Jesus, to be able to spend eternity with him. Now, teens, i got a question for you. If I were to offer you $1,000 cash right now, that excites you a little bit? <laughs> it's all relative, right? Now, if I said to you, postpone the thousand today for ten million in five years, how would you feel? Are you going to want that thousand now, or are you going to want to wait the five years? Hopefully, you're going to want to wait that five years, right? See, now, if we're not smart, we'd settle for the thousand bucks. But God's promise to us is eternity. He has guided us to the kingdom, to that hidden treasure through His Son, Jesus Christ. And every day, we have an opportunity to invest time, heart, and money into God's kingdom. Jesus is asking us to help the poor and the needy. You know, imagine what our schools and our communities, our families, imagine what everything would look like if every one of us were dedicated to this in every aspect of our lives. You know, I look back at... Uh, yesterday, we were out at Del Air, uh, kind of fixing that up for that foster care center. Robert, Chip, Brock, Benito, Dabney's, Johnson's, Novak's, Atkins, Keeling's, Maureen Gibson. I mean, there are a whole bunch of people out there working on that facility. And I don't, I don't say this to, in any way or shape, from a negative standpoint. And it may have happened sometime after I left, but you know, it wasn't our church. It wasn't our facility. I didn't see one member of that congregation out there helping us. This is the heart that Jesus calls for. To be involved. To make a difference. To be, invest, to be vested in God's kingdom. Just think of what, again, this world would look like if everybody was involved on that level. God appreciates it. God sees it. It means something to God. You know, Jesus comes along, and thinking back to that whole teen thing with the thousand bucks versus the ten million, Jesus comes along and says, we need to think about more along the lines of 30 million years. You know, if you're an investor, uh, a tax uh, investor, money manager, they'll tell you, don't think three months, don't think three years, they'll say long term. Jesus says, think 30 million years, think eternity. I mean, I can't get my, my mind around eternity, I can get my mind around 30 million dollars and the number of zeros that are involved there. But in Psalm 49, verse 16, it says, So don't be dismayed when the wicked grow rich, and their homes become even more splendid. For when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. You know, Tuesday, I had some uh, pictures taken of my treasure here. Me and my treasure. You know, I was on my way to an appointment with my treasure. We're just kind of hanging out. You know, I went out for a walk with my treasure. I brought Kona along for protection. It's 
afraid somebody might jump me with this thing going down the street. A little barbecue action here, me and my treasure barbecuing. It's kind of hanging out. It had a brew. It wanted more, I told it no. And then, you know, here I am with my treasure watching Duck Dynasty. And, you know, when it comes to our treasure, here, we, we can kind of take it places with us. You know, based on how big it is, sometimes it's not necessarily the most convenient thing in the world, but there's this thing called the afterlife. You know, this earthly wealth, this earthly treasure, again, we can pretty much do whatever we want with it here, but we can't take it with us after we die. It's temporary. It's temporary here. You know, the the fancy cars, the motorcycle, the yacht, yachts sink, motorcycles crash, cars get dented and stolen. I mean, anything of worth doesn't last very long. There's always something that happens to it to make it worth less. And I think that's why we get so caught up in chasing the latest and the greatest all the time. We've got to replace. I mean, we're such a race of waste. You know, we have perfectly good transportation, but we've got to get the latest model car. We've got, you know, perfectly good home, but, you know, something else bigger, something else shinier, something else better. And not that those things aren't okay, but if those things devalue God's kingdom, there is a problem. If those things start crowding out our relationship with God, there is a problem. If that becomes the only thing that you're actively pursuing in this life, there's a huge problem. You know, John D. Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men that ever walked the face of the planet. And on his passing, his accountant was asked by a reporter, what did he leave behind? His accountant replied, everything. And the reporter said, no, 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 really, what did he leave behind? And the accountant said, oh, he left behind everything. He didn't take anything with him. You know, it reminds me of uh, another individual that was very, very wealthy. King Tut. I believe he died about the age of 17, but uh, incredibly, incredibly wealthy period of time uh, for this particular pharaoh. You can see these are some of the treasures that they found in his tomb that he planned on taking with him to the next world. It's insured for a billion dollars. The net worth today is probably somewhere in between 10, 12, 15 billion based on current gold prices and, you know, just the significance of how rare these things are. But here you got a guy that had everything you could possibly imagine. And where did it go? When someone else, he sure as heck didn't take it with him. You know, I think one of the things that's encouraging as Christians, though, we may not be able to take it with us, but we can definitely send it ahead. You know, we can invest our life, our time, our money and heavenly treasures that you can send out, you can send ahead. You know, this morning as you sit here, what is the treasure? What is your treasure? And think that through, what is it you personally are holding on to? You know, when it comes to friends, family, decisions that you make, what are you preparing for yourself? Is it for here? Or is it for later? It's like that thousand bucks versus the five million. However short a period of time we have on this planet to eternity with God. See, today is an opportunity for you to make great decisions. Are you ready to be a part of the Lord's kingdom today? Are you willing to grab this treasure personally for yourself and hang on to it as if it was a chest full of gold? It involves sacrifice. 
But for those of us who are Christians, it's a sacrifice made with joy. See, ours is an ongoing treasure hunt, closing out our life with the most incredible treasure ever, and that's eternity in heaven with God our Father, Jesus Christ His Son, and all those that we love that we're helping prepare to embrace this treasure as their own as well. Hope to see you there. God bless.